Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And straight off the practice field in Nashville, Tennessee, with a slight tinge of road rage, it's the coach, Corey Burton. Well, you know, when you go try to fill up your gas tank and it seems like every turn you make in the parking lot is the wrong turn, um, it's a little frustrating, but it's okay. I'm here with you guys now. My road rage is done. Uh, the weather, it's 62 degrees right now. It's the first time... I think since uh, April that it hasn't been 90 degrees, so good to go. Nice. Well, uh, the third amigo in the second city is uh, the last member to join us today, and this is a man who absolutely abhors it, abhors it when quarterbacks just decide to transfer out because they don't win the job. It's our intrepid, <laughs> our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Oh, is that relevant? Did that happen today? Yeah, it might have happened. might have oh. crossed the wire. <laughs> so okay um so i, I just want to uh before we jump into our quick slants uh, i just want to mention a, a a very special shout out to uh the burton family uh because uh clint burton is going to be inducted into the fayette county high school hall of fame coach burton played defensive back for the florida state seminoles from 1966 to 68 and he was started at safety his senior year on the on an eight and three team that played lsu in the peach bowl uh this is a, a great honor for a man who coached for 45 years in high school football in georgia and it's a great honor for an even greater man so coach we want to say congratulations to your entire family it's really sad that he's not able to be there for the induction but i know that uh you and your mom and the rest of your family are going to be heading down to the ceremony next week well, it's not next week. It's the 15th, but um, I certainly do appreciate it. Uh, I learned everything I ever do is is from him. Um, and, uh, you know, he just, like I said, 45, 45 phenomenal years uh, coaching football. And he's, you know, that guy's my hero. Yeah, so I uh, just wanted to uh, make mention of that because that's something obviously you're very proud of and we're very proud of for you, Coach. So, uh, well, it's time for us to hop into our quick slants. So, uh, Josh, you can take it away first. Yeah, uh, earlier in the week I was planning to preview two Big Ten games, and I still am. I'm just going to push them into one quick slant because I wanted to use this time to honor the passing of uh, Hawkeye legend uh, Randy Duncan, uh, probably the best quarterback to ever uh, don a Hawkeye jersey. He uh, he joined the program in 55, and back then they didn't let freshmen play. And so since it didn't matter if he got hurt. Uh, the reserves and the freshmen were used as, uh, as tackling dummies for Cal Jones, uh, the great defensive lineman who's a college football Hall of Famer. And Duncan was thinking about transferring, but he, he hung around – uh, was the backup in 56 to uh, Ken Cleone, who, uh, who is a C- Canadian Football Hall of Famer, so a very good player in his own regard. But, uh, but as a reserve, Duncan came in, uh, led uh, two touchdown drives in the fourth quarter to beat 
Oregon State 14-13 uh, when Plone got hurt. Uh, that was pretty big. And then uh, Duncan also came in during the Rose Bowl, which was interestingly a rematch against Oregon State again that Iowa won 35-19. And then uh, in the 57 season, uh, Plone had graduated, so Duncan was named the starter. Uh, Iowa had a top-10 finish. And then his senior year was 58 when Iowa won the national title. Uh, he was the Big Ten MVP, was a consensus All-American, won the Walter Camp, finished second in the Heisman, and uh, was the overall number one draft pick in the NFL draft by the Green Bay Packers. Uh, unfortunately, that was a little bit before Vince Lombardi got there. And not wanting to play for a terrible team, he actually went to Canada and got paid more and played a season of Canadian football and decided to retire and had a lengthy law career in his home state of Iowa. Uh, he has been battling cancer for, for quite a few years now, so not unexpected that he passed away, but definitely a good opportunity to salute uh, one of Iowa's all-time greatest players. All right. Thanks, Josh. Uh, Coach, out to you for your first slam. Well, uh, certainly a tough act to follow, but I uh, wanted to mention uh, an American conference game here. Uh, matches up two, three, and one teams, both jockeying for position in the, uh, in the conference. What's interesting about this game is South Florida is five-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at Cincinnati. So, Quentin Flowers comes in as their leading passer and rusher. He's rushed for over 300 yards this year, and he's thrown for almost 1,000. So, a good season for, uh, for Mr. Flowers here, the South Florida Bulls. Um, this game's going to be interesting because of the implications of, 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 how, uh, of how the race stacks up in the conference. Um, it's also going to be an interesting game because style of play for both of these teams, I think, you know, it's going to be a really competitive matchup between, uh, between these two teams. And I just wanted to throw it out there pretty quick. It's, a, it's one of those low-key sleeper-type games where there's a, lot of good, there, there's a lot of good games that we're going to talk about in our deep routes. Um, this is going to be a game to keep an eye on because there's probably going to be a, a decent amount of highlights coming from here. But um, really just wanted to, to focus on the fact that uh, Quentin Flowers is both your leading rusher, leading passer. I thought that was kind of interesting stat coming into this one, and I kind of wanted to highlight that as well. But um, as far as my prediction for this game, I think South Florida is going to win. Um, I think they're going to cover the spread. I think they win by touchdown, maybe ice it uh, with an insurance field goal. Um, late in the fourth quarter, um, but I do think they go away victorious here um, because I think I picked them as my conference champion. So These are definitely two of the stronger contenders in the East uh, of the American Conference. Obviously, um, the West is really stacked with Navy Houston and Memphis, but these are, these are your, you know, probably your, your two teams that you think are probably front runners right now in the East Division of the American Conference. My first quick slant, um, I'm jumping even lower than a group of five. I'm jumping all the way down to FCS. Uh, there are three really big uh, top 25 matchups this weekend in the FCS, and I want to uh, touch on them because we like to spread the love around here. So first one is uh, homecoming for the unanimous number one North Dakota State who welcome Illinois State to Fargo in the school's first meeting since the 2014 national title game, which was won by the Bison in very dramatic fashion uh, with Carson Wentz scoring on a five-yard run with 
uh, 37 seconds left to beat the Redbirds, 29 to 27. Both of these teams have already beaten a Big Ten squad this year. Uh, Illinois State beat Northwestern and North Dakota State over Iowa, but the Bison are definitely solid favorites at home. Uh, watch, you've got to watch out for North Dakota State. They really, you know, just eat up the clock. Uh, they're averaging uh, about 37 minutes of uh, ball pos- of uh, time possession on the season so far, and they've got a huge stable running backs led by King Frazier. Um, I'll also of note, since uh, 2010, the Bison are 50 and four at home and have won their last five conference opener openers. Just on the road in Brookings, South Dakota, uh, the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State host the Western Illinois Leathernecks in a matchup of phenomenal team nicknames, as well as <laughs> the FCS. Western Illinois is fresh off an upstate, uh, an upset over uh, in-state quasi-rival Northern Illinois, and the Leathernecks uh, are led on the ground by sophomore tailback Steve McShane, who's averaging over 150 yards a game on the ground. Quarterback Taron Christian, uh, Christian uh, heads up a balanced attack for the Jackrabbits, who have a pair of outstanding wide receivers from Jake Weineke and Dallas Goddard. Uh, both of these teams can score in bunches, so I'm expecting a, a winning total well into the 40s. Finally, two Big Sky powerhouses are going to duel it out in Missoula, Montana, when the number 11 Grizzlies of Montana take on the number 24 South uh, Southern Utah Thunderbirds. T-Birds were last year's Big Sky Conference champs, and they rely heavily on senior running back Malik Brown on offense, but really get it done with their D with a very talented veteran linebacking core. But uh, the defense of the Grizzlies are uh, equally up to the task as uh, their Thunderbirds counterparts, uh, but they're led by their secondary, who are allowing only 178 yards per game through the air. The other side of the ball, Brady Gustafson is airing it out and particularly getting it to uh, walk-on freshman sensation Jerry Louie McGee. Uh, last week's heartbreaking 42-41 loss at Cal Poly. In the game, Louie McGee caught 21 balls for 100 100- for 155 yards, setting a school record. And he's currently second in the conference in total yards. Uh, but this is going to be a hard-fought defensive battle. Don't get it Don't get it twisted. These are two teams who have two of the strongest defenses in the big sky. Uh, Low-scoring affair. I expect the Grizz to win like about 21-17 or thereabouts. So, uh, Josh, off to you for your second slant. 21 receptions in a game. Iowa will be lucky to have a receiver catch 21 in a, the entire year. Um, the two games that I want to talk about, there are uh, some Big Ten undercards. And we always talk about uh, how do you follow up a big game or a, or a good performance. And Purdue is in that rare situation. Um, their problem has been Markel Jones, their running back, and David Blau, very rarely have a good game at the same time. When one's on, the other's off, and vice versa. Uh, but they both played great against Nevada. But also, they entered that Nevada game with the 104th-ranked rushing defense, and Nevada had the 46th rushing attack, and the Boilermakers held them to just 68 yards. It was one of Purdue's best games ever in the Hazel era, and they have to travel out to Maryland, who's playing much, much better in DJ Durkin's first year. One thing that's really caught my eye is Maryland was terrible at throwing interceptions a year ago. Uh, they have not thrown a single one through three games. So uh, if they've corrected that and the defense playing a lot better, those are very good signs for the Terps. The other game I want to talk about is Minnesota at Penn State. Franklin needs a win like no one else. You can't lose 49 to 10. He's winless against Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Uh, it's like, you know, the, losing the rivals is bad enough, but dropping a home game to the Golden Gophers, 
I think would be would be the beginning of the end for him. And Minnesota is interesting. They're 3-0, and but one thing that really caught my eye is they are losing in the hidden yardage game left and right. Uh, they were flagged nine times for 68 yards last week against uh, Indiana State. They were flagged 10 times for 82 yards. And in their opener against Oregon State, they had 70 penalty yards on eight flags, including several players kicked out for targeting. This is such a weird trend to see Minnesota just hemorrhaging penalty yards. Yeah, Josh, I actually wanted to uh, say something about James Franklin really quick. Was I was listening to uh, one of my favorite podcasts, Behind the Bets, College Years, and uh, Stanford Steve brought up uh, a phenomenal statistic about James Franklin. In his coaching career, he has never beaten a team that ended the year in the top 25. Ooh, uh, that won't keep that won't keep you around a hungry program like Penn State. Yeah, so I think he's something like zero and eighteen on his career, which is absolutely brutal. So, all right, Coach, what do you got for your second slam? Well, uh, when you brought up Western Illinois, I was watching a documentary about a certain individual, um, an NFL Hall of Famer, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it up to you guys to answer which NFL Hall of Famer donned the number thirty-seven for Western Illinois. Oh, man, I don't know enough about Western Illinois football to even take a guess. Um, I will go... I'll give you a hint. He played safety. Ronnie Lott. Uh, Lynch? No. On Lynch? No, it's Lynch to Stanford. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Ronnie, Lott went, Ronnie Lott went to USC. All right, then. Uh, who is it, Coach? Rodney Harrison. Oh! Ooh. Rodney Harrison. Chicago boy. Chicago right. boy Rodney Harrison. Um, anyway, my quick slant has nothing to do with Western Illinois. I thought I'd pull an audible there for a second. Uh, I wanted to talk about a, a very important ACC uh, coastal game. Uh, Miami traveling on the road for their first, really their first test of the year. Um, Appalachian State was kind of a test, and they classed it with flying colors. But they go to Bobby Dodge Stadium um, at historic Grant Field to take on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. That's an 11 a.m. Central Time kick. That's a noon kick for all you Eastern Time Zone guys. And uh, I'll let you guys do the math uh, for Perko and them out, out on, the, on the left coast there. But um, it's an it's a, it's a interesting test because, you know, Georgia Tech has a style of offense that gives you fits. They run that triple option. And, and when, they're on, when they're on point, they're really on point. But, you know, the, the problem with Georgia Tech is when they're on, they're on. But when they're off, they're off. There's no middle ground with them. They're either extremely good at hitting all cylinders, or they are bad and putrid. Um, so it's just a matter of you know, offensively for Georgia Tech. One of their keys is just to be you know trying to figure out which Georgia Tech team is going to actually show up offensively. Is it going to be the one um, that comes out in big games? That usually that came out last year against Florida State. That that comes out. That used to come out against Clemson every year. Um, you know, the, 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 the get yards and big chunks, tossed it over your head, uh, things like that. Um, they are scoring at a rate of 24 points per game, so they're not struggling too bad. And I think there were some padded games in there uh, for those stats. They're, they're, uh, but their calling card for the Yellow Jackets is their defense. They're very stingy. They're allowing 14.3 points per game, um, and they played some pretty big opponents uh, to inflate that number. So, really, um, it's a bigger number or it's a stingier number than this stat would lead you to believe. 
Uh, total yards, they're allowing 329.3. A lot of that damage was done from Clemson. Um, total yards passing per game, 112 and a half uh, yards passing per game. They're steady through the air. Um, and they're not much more generous on the ground, allowing 216.8 yards on the ground. So Miami's got the work cut out for him. Brad Kai is leading an offense that's got to, that's got to uh, pick their poison. It's got to take what the defense is going to give them, control the ball, uh, keep the, you know, keep tech off the field, um, and then just try to try to move the ball on this on this defense, and um, you know, and then uh, when they don't, make sure the old adage end every drive with a kick. Um, that's certainly okay. Punting in this game is certainly going to be okay. It's not a bad thing to punt in this game. Georgia Tech offense—you never know what, what you're going to get. But if you play uh, assignment football, and Mark Rick has seen this offense plenty of times, being at Georgia and facing Georgia Tech every year, so he knows how to defense this thing. So he, he have a pretty good game plan coming in. So um, it'll be interesting to see how Miami kind of kind of handles a tough road game like like Georgia Tech's going to be. Um, because Georgia Tech's not going to lay down, um, but also Georgia Tech doesn't have a really good record against Mark Rick, so it doesn't bode well for him. I like Miami in this game. I, I think Brad Kai is going to end up having a, uh, a huge day. I don't think he's going to start off that way, but I think it's going to end up uh, with some pretty huge numbers, and I think Miami is going to struggle at first because it's a noon kick, uh, but I think, they, I think they're going to pull away late because that's just kind of what Mark Rick does against Georgia Tech. All right, yeah, Coach, you know, uh, the one uh, sort of matchup I'll be really keeping an eye on in that game is uh, Miami's linebackers are really, really young. Uh, I'm, I think they're all pretty much freshmen and sophomores out there for them. And so, and that's going up against a very sort of different option path than they've seen, um, than they're probably going to be used to be seeing. Obviously, App State runs some option too, but, um, you know, definitely a different caliber of option there with the Yellow Jackets. But uh, speaking of option, uh, that uh, segues very nicely into my final quick slant, and that is uh, the first leg of the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. Uh, It'll be a really quick game, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, we've got the uh, the undefeated middies heading up to Colorado Springs to take on the Falcons. And uh, if you're like me and you love option football, because I really love option football, uh, this is one of the games of the year for you. Air Force is seven and a half points favorites at home, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's honestly it's a toss up whenever these schools meet. Um, in their first season without Keenan Reynolds, uh, Navy's offense is still uh, working just fine with new quarterback Will Worth uh, handling the offense and wide receiver Jamil Tillman. Uh, has nine of Navy's 15 receptions on the year. So um, he's accounted for 60% of their catches, but he's getting uh, 16 yards per catch doing his uh, best Calvin Johnson uh, impersonation. Falcon senior quarterback Nate Romine uh, definitely has a very interesting passing line on the year. He's 13 for 32 for 364 yards. So that's 11 yards per attempt or an astonishing 27 yards per completion. Um, so obviously when you talk about Air Force, though, you're going to talk about, uh, the captain of the illegal motion all name team, Weston Steelhammer at safety. Uh, but unfortunately for the Falcons, he is out for the first half of this week's game after targeting penalty against Utah State last week. So one place that Navy really needs to, uh, be careful, uh, this week is in the red zone offense. They've sort of sputtered this year, only scoring on 75% of their drives into the red zone, where last year they went 53 for 56 on the year with 44 touchdowns. So they've got to step it up a little bit there uh, without Keenan Reynolds. Um, but these two have won the last 19 Commander-in-Chief's trophies. Um, but Army, you know, as we know, is strong as ever this year, so it's going to be a great round robin the entire year to come. 
Well, it should be easy to prepare for each other because they run the same exact offense now. I think uh, they, uh, Air Force was, was kind of running some sort of a hybrid deal of the uh, triple option attack, their own kind of twist on it. It's not like that. I watched a little bit of uh, Air Force's game last week, actually, against Utah State um, after you know after everything had calmed down with Huck's birthday party. And uh, I watched a little bit of that. And, you know, they're, they're, they're straight up. Navy and Air Force are pretty much identical. I guess they just trade the uniforms. Yeah, that's going to – well, you know, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. The game's going to go by real quick. Um, those changes will keep moving. So uh, it's time for us to move now uh, into our next segment, our – Game of the week. Uh, this week, we uh, we go down to Oxford, Mississippi, where the Memphis Tigers head into town um, you know, with upsets on their mind. Josh, you think this is definitely a trap game for Ole Miss? Yeah, this was uh, this was a game that I threw out there. I'm glad you uh, you picked up what I was putting down, Matt, because it's an interesting one. Um, you know, Memphis won it last year. This is one of those games that's not really a rivalry because they don't play it every year, but the two schools are so close to each other. It's a rivalry in the minds of Memphis. And so that's always weird when you have unbalanced energy. It comes at a really tough trap date. Um, they have a bye week and then they go to Arkansas. So, Ole Miss players might have their minds drifting a little bit, thinking about, hey, we got an easy week to prepare for our first big road trip of the year. We don't know what's going on through their minds. Uh, Hugh Freeze, for his tenure, seems like one of those coaches, and he's done a phenomenal job. And I'm not saying Hugh Freeze will never win a title. It's just at this point in his tenure, Ole Miss has kind of always been one of those two-step forwards, one-step back type program where once you think that they're, it's all coming together, that's when they have the weird flat performance. And sometimes they've survived those flat performances. Sometimes they haven't. And for Memphis, the last two weeks really caught my eye. They, uh, they beat Kansas and Bowling Green in back-to-back weeks. And that doesn't sound too impressive, but – the combined score from those two games was 120 to 10. And that is interesting. It's not that easy to crush teams that big. And uh, replacing Paxton Lynch, big shoes to fill. Riley Ferguson is off to one hell of a start to the season. 67% completion rate, uh, 9.26 yards per 11 touchdowns, just two picks on the year. Uh, last week against Bowling Green, he had six touchdowns, zero interceptions on 20 of 27 passing. He's got to be feeling confident. Uh, I, I'm really, really curious to see what Memphis can do. And if Ole Miss comes out flat, the Tigers have that offense where they could put up a number in the first half if Ole Miss sleepwalks. That's really hard to get back from. Coach, what does Ole Miss have to do to avoid the upset? Um revert back to what they've been going through all this week. I guarantee you if Hugh Freeze is even doing uh, a fourth of what I'm what I'm thinking he's doing, Ole Miss is going to be ready for this game. I mean, we forget that they, they got beat and embarrassed a year ago, and there's no love lost between these two schools, both sides. You know, I, I know some Ole Miss fans, uh, and they hate Memphis, and Memphis reciprocates. I mean, they it's it's a rivalry. Um, even though they don't play every year, um, 
it's a rivalry. And as soon as Memphis joins the Big 12, it might be an annual deal. Um, so uh, don't, don't sleep on the fact that Ole Miss, you know, we, we think it's a one-sided hatred here. Ole Miss hates them just as much. Um, last year they took a might lead. This year they will not. Um, it's kind of I, – I see this game – honestly, I see this game going kind of like the Miami-Appalachian State game. Um, as soon as Appalachian State was put back on the radar, Miami said, to hell with this, and they beat them 45-10. to 10. Um, I kind of see something similar to that happening this week. They're, this is a hungry bunch. They've been pounded on all year long. They've been hammered for blowing two – that being the first team to blow two, being the first ranked team or top 10 team really to blow two 21 point leads um, in the same season. So they've had enough of the, of the bad talk. I, I, a lot of people are going to say this is a trap game. It could very well be, but I would be highly surprised if, uh, if Ole Miss comes out flat in this one, just because of what happened last year, um, especially, but yeah, they're feeling good right now. They're feeling good from last year over and over again. Yeah, they probably they probably have been. Uh, they probably posted the score up all over the locker room. They probably a lot of their punishments have had to do with the score. I know uh, I know Urban Meyer did this one year. Uh, they had to do uh, for like the entire summer. Florida had to do um, one push up per point or no one push up per yard rushing that Georgia got on them uh, one year when they beat them like forty two to thirty or something like that. They they came back. Uh, the, the next year, um, and and beat them forty nine to forty nine to three or something like that, uh, uh, because and and part of the motivation was they did all summer long every day they did one hundred seventy seven push ups one for every rushing yard no Sean Moreno had against them so um, it I, I I hope you know I hope Hugh Freeze is doing things like that I, I think that would you know mean that he's doing his job um reminding them what happened last year but any sort of reminder every sort of reminder any way you can possibly remind them what happened last year this group will come in pissed off to be honest with you all right all right yeah i i think that you know mississippi's 14 and a half point favorites at home i think memphis is going to cover but old miss is still going to get the win by 13 so no i think old miss is going to blow them out of the water i love and, and i love memphis I love Memphis. I think they're a great program. Uh, Riley Ferguson is off to a great start. I just think this is not a great situation for them uh, this particular week. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm pretty much almost a Memphis convert here. Um, I, I like them. I'm starting to kind of like them better than East Carolina, to be honest with you. Oh, uh, oh wow, that's uh, that's saying something. Well, we got we got we got to keep it moving, guys. Uh, so we're gonna head down to our first deep root of the week. Uh, Friday night, uh, we've got. Uh, Stanford, number seven, heading up to uh, Seattle to take on the number 10 Washington Huskies in the game of the year in the Pac-10, uh, or Pac-12, I should say. So, uh, Josh, how is Washington going to contain Christian McCaffrey? Yeah, that's a good question. So, uh, I think that they need to focus more on just shutting down the Stanford passing game. That seems like what people are doing. Uh, and it's making Stanford one-dimensional because right now Stanford's 122nd in passing yards. Uh, Ryan Burns just has 400 yards on the year and three touchdowns. Pretty, pretty unimpressive numbers. And I think the other thing Washington needs to do is be physical with them. We saw that against UCLA, any opportunity that they could get a strong hit on McCaffrey, they, they certainly took it. So, uh, Washington has a physical enough team, and I think they can do that. 
The thing that I'm curious about for Washington is they got off to such a hot start in the year, 3-0, and blowing people out. Was the Arizona trip a trap? Was it a flat game because they were looking ahead? Um, what's, what's the mindset of the Huskies? That's kind of what I'm curious about because Stanford's the known entity. Um, Washington really hasn't had a game of this magnitude in Husky Stadium for a while. But I still think Washington wins because I think that they're going to find a way to do just enough on defense Stanford's had a lot of injuries, but the calming presence is Chris Peterson. He's been in two Fiesta Bowls with teeny tiny Boise State. I mean, as a program, like they weren't supposed to be there. He used to be in the game with the target on your back, not expected to do much. Yada yada, and he's handled it. Team down, they'll be ready to go. Coach, oh, I guess, uh, I guess the, the co- we, we dropped the coach there for a second. So um, I'm actually gonna just pick up uh, from where where you were, Josh. And I really think that um, this is a this is a game where. Chris Peterson is going to have to do, um, you know, is going to have to make Jake Browning, uh, you know, really take control of the playbook and take control of the game because you know that Stanford's going to shorten the game a lot. So Jake Browning has got to make sure that he doesn't get himself into trouble. He's been pr- pretty good so far this year. Um, he's 67-95 for 14 touchdowns and only two picks. Um, but he's already been sacked eight times. And, you know, so they're going to – and obviously – uh, Stanford has a very strong defensive line uh, led by Solomon Thomas, who will definitely be getting after him. So uh, they're going to have to keep Jake Browning clean, and so he's not turning the ball over uh, a lot. So uh, I guess I'm, I'm back, guys. I'm right. back, Coach. Uh, I, I, quickly, I don't Stanford, know what happened. Quickly, Stanford, well, Washington. Well, uh, Washington, I think you know. I think you guys hit the nail on the head. So I won't go too far into it. They just got to be physical, and they. They've got to find a way to beat Stanford's offensive line. I think that's Stanford's strength um, of their team. Um, but, you know, I think what Stanford has, has proven to everybody that they're not much of a threat through the air. And I think you're going to see Washington do this and you're going to see everybody on Stanford's schedule do this. They're going to load the box, force you to beat them through the air, force you to, you know, and try to stop Christian McCaffrey, lock down the receivers one-on-one and force Kevin Hogan to, to, to beat them over the top. And that's kind of what I would do. So, I see this game uh, kind of like what the UCLA game was, a low-scoring slugfest where, you know, just kind of whoever I, whoever gets the momentum late is going to win this game. I think Stanford's going to kind of pull it out because they just know how to win these type of ball games. Um, so they know how to win these sloppy slugfest-type games, and I think they'll pull another one out like they did last week against UCLA. All right. Well, let's head down to Fort Worth. Actually, I just want to say one real quick thing about this game. If Washington pulls it off, it'll remind me a lot of that huge Oregon-USC game in 2009. It was Pete Carroll's last season with the Trojans. Oregon won it handily, 47-20. to And it was just such a change in the guard. And we saw the Ducks just dominate the conference then for the next few years, it'll sort of have that feeling, I think. 
Oh, yeah. Well, another change in the guard might be taking place uh, in the Big 12. Uh, TCU, number 21 in the country, is hosting Oklahoma, who are actually only 1-2 and two this year uh, after a bye last week. Uh, so it's obviously it's, it's been the Kenny Trill show in, uh, in Fort Worth, but that's been it's had its ups and downs uh, with, with some penalties for throat slashing along the way. So, uh, Josh, do you think that Oklahoma can sort of uh, circle the wagons um, and make the Sooners uh, you know, come back to a have nope. a in the Big 12, or you're done? you think they're done? I'm not done. Like, okay, Oklahoma could lose this game and then win out. Like, they could go 9-3, and three, and it wouldn't surprise me. But I've been by far the biggest supporter of TCU. TCU would be undefeated if not for the throat slash, like you said. But look at Oklahoma's defense, 93rd in the country. I mean, they gave up 33 to Houston, 45 to the Buckeyes. They got the 17 points to ULM to, you know, give it up to the Warhawks to make their number not look astronomical. This is just not a good defense. And Patterson knows how to game plan uh, for all of his weird stuff. Kenny Hill's numbers have been phenomenal. Amon G. Carter Stadium, tough place to play. I just think the Frogs shred them through the air, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they, they've had so much trouble with, with spread-type quarterbacks. I mean, yeah, J.C. Barrett. Uh, Greg Ward Jr. had just given him fits. You know, Kenny Trill does the same thing. You know, TCU has the same style of offense, and and they just, for whatever reason, they have they they struggle with that. And and right now they're just, I, I just think there's some struggles in the locker room all all around. I mean, they're having to answer questions about, you know, are you guys done, or have you got, you know, what do you guys have to do to get back, you know, to get back in the groove of things? Do you still have a chance? Most people aren't giving you a chance at all. You know they. You know, it, it's kind of a disarray over there, and, and their defense being ranked 93rd was a huge shock to me. Um, and the way they the way they came out of the gates and started against Houston was kind of a kind of a red flag for me. And thinking, my goodness, this is this really isn't a good team at all. And it kind of it kind of made my playoff prediction. And, and I made my that playoff prediction because I thought they were the most stout physical team, uh, one of the more put together teams in the Big 12 this year. Um, you know, it was more of an indictment on the rest of the Big 12 this particular year. But I guess, you know, this is a tough – this is going to get the award for the toughest conference to predict because Baylor's really good. They they doesn't seem like they've really – I think Jim Grobe has done a tremendous job of getting them ready to play. So, you know, I didn't expect that to happen. Oklahoma State, you know, I kind of expected them to be in the hunt. So they're not, they're not surprising me at all. TCU is right there where I thought they would be. And they're going to be right there where I thought they're going to be. And, and Oklahoma is going to be – uh, I think Oklahoma's going to be the odd man out here. and I think it's going to be a little bit closer, but I think it's going to be a higher scoring affair. I think Baker Mayfield's going to have a little bit of a bounce back game, but it's not going to be enough. Uh, that TCU defense led by Ty Summers um, is going to uh, it's going to dominate, I think. and uh, Not really dominate, but uh, Trill is going to have a big day, and uh, I think TCU's going to come out on top. I All think right. it's going to be like a 10-point game. Well, Coach, let's move from there to uh, your alma mater, who are hosting uh, the Tennessee Vols in a huge SEC East matchup. Um, obviously, uh, Georgia got the doors blown off last week against Ole Miss, and they are looking for a comeback. 
Uh, Josh, you are really, really high on Tennessee, though, coming in. Yeah, I've had them ranked seventh in all of my polls. I didn't ding them for the Appalachian State game. And the more Tennessee rises, rises, and the real polls uh, come back to where I had them, I my ego and my head get bigger and bigger. But uh, I really think that this game, honestly, is more about Georgia. When you have three bad games in a row, that becomes a trend. And, you know, it's easy to say, oh, Nickel State, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, you just beat – North Carolina in a good game, kind of sleepwalk through through an FCS team. Teams have done that. Then they go at Missouri, and they have to win in the last second. That's another red flag. And then to get the you know the barn doors blown off to you at Ole Miss, um, just it's we all thought Georgia had a super high ceiling, but when you have a freshman quarterback and a freshman coach, there's going to be just it's not an easy transition. I think we're starting to see that with Georgia. Uh, Tennessee, definitely a more veteran team with Dobbs and Hur. And I, I think Tennessee will survive a tough road trip, but this being coach's team, I don't want to take too much time, so I'll definitely give him the floor now. Well, I mean, you know, this team had issues in a, in a place where – in two places where there was going to be issues. You know, the wide receivers are – Worse, and it was already is already a question mark going into the season, and they are underperforming um, even on that expectation. Uh, they can't get any separation, and when they finally do, they can't seem to catch the ball. So um, it's kind of hard for a freshman quarterback to develop when every time you throw a good pass, that you're there's about a 25% chance the receiver's actually going to come down with it. Um, and then uh, the fact that there's a also a 10% chance that you may even get a clean ball off. Because your left tackle, your right guard, your center, your right tackle, your left guard, on in, in some plays, all five of them just get completely smoked by the defensive line. It just doesn't seem like the offensive line's holding up. Tyler Catalina, I'll call him out. Uh, maybe this will, maybe he'll step up. Um, he's terrible. He, he's he's terrible at, at left tackle. You, he, I call him the human turnstile, and that's just all he does. You know, and and it's going to be. I, Derek Barnett's going to feast against him. Uh, I hate to say it, and this is this is really tough for me to say, um, but this offensive line is ex, ex, way worse than anybody had, had thought. Thought maybe Sam Pittman coming from Arkansas be able to get them to at least hold their head above water and compete, but it just doesn't seem like they're even competing right now. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of shakeup this team has after getting their butts kicked. Maybe some younger guys that have kind of bought in. Uh, we'll get a chance to, to see what they can do. Um, Jawan Briscoe, I said in, in last week's recap, um, that guy was constantly um, running behind wide receivers. Um, he was getting burnt all day long. So um, it'll be, you know, on paper, it looks like defense is Swiss cheese, the offensive line is Swiss cheese. Tennessee is going to have a field day on offense. Derek Barnett's going to live in the backfield, all that good stuff. And that could very well happen, and Georgia could get their doors blown off again, and the Kirby Smart honeymoon could be come to, come to a screeching halt. Um, but, you know, the key is just going to be, can Georgia dust themselves off, get back in there and fight? You know, they're talented enough to hang with Tennessee, I think. Um, they're just got to dust – they just got to fight. They got to compete. They got to get after it. And with it being a home game, I like the chances a little bit better. I still think Tennessee wins this game uh, because I think Tennessee is equipped to win this game at this time. 
Now, am I pressing the panic button on Kirby Smart? No. He's a freshman head coach. He's learning. He's learning. He's learning. You know, he's got a tough run coming up that he's going to have to learn how to navigate through. He's going to take his lumps. We all know that. Jacob Beeson going to take his lumps. We all knew that going in. Um, so it's just a matter of the, can this offensive line find the right mix of people? Can they can they play well enough? Can they play like they did again in the Georgia Dome against North Carolina? If they can, this will be more successful uh, affair for the dogs. If they can't, it's going to be a really long day. So um, my prediction I think it's going to be a close game. I think Tennessee. I think Tennessee again, like Josh said, survives a survives a tough road test. Um, but I think Georgia comes back and fights and is a little bit more competitive, even though they lose. Yeah, it's definitely going to be uh, you know another tough game for for Jacob Eason, especially with how good Tennessee's defensive line is and how bad his offensive line is. So uh, hopefully they can get him some you know quick rhythm throws to sort of open it up a little bit for him uh, at the beginning of the game. Well, I think one other I think one other thing that might help Tennessee survive this road trip is they just played their huge rival, just beat them for the first time in over a decade. If this had been like Vanderbilt or an out-of-conference game, they might not be as sharp, but Georgia's right there as one of their biggest rivals. You know, Florida and Georgia are 1A, 1B, it seems like, at least to me. I, I know they have that historic one with Alabama, but at least for me being in the same division in the SEC, these are their two biggest rivals now. Yeah, I mean, this game, they win this game, and, and, and they pretty much cruise to an Eastern title. Um, yep. You know, and they can still stand to lose one against uh, Alabama and still come out just fine. So, you know, they you know they're going to be up for that uh, because this is their chance to go to the Georgia Dome. So, um, and don't sleep on the fact that Tennessee hasn't had a lot of success against Georgia uh, recently. They won last year, but they hadn't really won a whole lot since then. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those games that, you know, this is going to kind of solidify it for, for Tennessee and just make it where, you know, they finally win the East. So, um, I hate to say it, but I'm picking the balls here um, for Tennessee. Yeah, it's going to be I, – I think the balls win as well. But let's head uh, from Coach's alma mater to our alma mater, Josh. Uh, University of Wisconsin, number eight, coming off of a big upset win on the road in the state of Michigan, gets to do the exact same thing a second week in a row, uh, this time going to the big house to take on uh, a Michigan team who hasn't really been all that tested yet except for, uh, you know, the, the first half against Colorado. So – Josh, what's the key to the game here for the Badgers? Well, the key, honestly, for both teams is going to be rushing the ball. And I know that's cliche to say in the Big Ten, but um, looking at Michigan, I thought one thing they did so poorly a year ago that I thought would be a roadblock for them making Indianapolis this year was their rushing game. And Penn State's terrible, so I'm not going to say it's fully cured, but they had 326 rushing yards on 49 carries, a 6.7 average. Their starter, Davion Smith, had 107 on 12 carries. That's an 8.9 average. Uh, Wisconsin, obviously a big step up in, def- in uh, defense than Penn State. But if they can you know, rush for 150 or more and, and make Wisconsin respect that and then let Wilton's feet do his thing, 
It's going to make for a tough day for Wisconsin. On the flip side, uh, Penn State, once they got down by so much, were just chucking the ball with McSorley, and they only ended up with letting their best offensive player, their running back, Saquon Barkley, he ended up with just 15 carries. And one of the things we praised Wisconsin for last week was running the ball. They didn't care that the average wasn't very high. They were committed to making the Spartans respect that, and they were committed to allowing Hornerbrook to have the play action to fall back on. So if Wisconsin remains committed, which they should, uh, and gets that running game going, they'll be able to be offensively balanced. And likewise for Michigan, if they can crack the Wisconsin nut and start zipping up and down the field like they did against Penn State, it'll be game over. Um, Truth be told, as a Wisconsin fan, um, I thought the Badgers had the talent to win one of these three back-breaking opening games to the Big Ten schedule. They already won one. They've already exceeded my expectations. Pulling an upset against Ohio State or Michigan this week is just icy on the cake. But but really, like, one out of three, I, I'm ecstatic about already. Coach, uh, what do you think about this game? I think it's going to be uh, – going into the season, I thought it was just going to be kind of one of those, man, Michigan was going to hang around for, you know, or Wisconsin was going to hang around for a quarter or two, and then Michigan's going to blow them out of the water. But I don't feel that way anymore. I, I, I really – each and every week, I really love this Wisconsin team. I think they've found a way to gel, and, and having so many, having as many injuries as they've had, they've found a way to like come together and play good football, which is, you know, which is exciting to see. And it makes things, it makes the title races and it makes the divisional races and all that stuff. It makes it exciting in the Big Ten, um, and it makes people get excited about Big Ten football. So um, for for Wisconsin, you know, offensively. Uh, locate number five, you know, find where he is. You know, you've got to know where number five is. He's one of those type players that can make a huge impact. Uh, you find, you find number five, find your real peppers. I'm saying, uh, you, you find him, um, identify him and, 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 uh, make sure you're, make sure you have practiced your check with me system to kind of check plays away from Jabril peppers. Um, and just try to find where he's not and check to a good play. So um, Ken Hornbrook um, or Horny Toad or whatever his name is, <laughs> can, he, uh, can he check to the right play? Um, can, he, uh, can he handle the, the games that Michigan's going to play on defense? Um, you know, this game's going to be won uh, defensively for Michigan um, if, they can, uh, if they can give Hornbrook some uh, – some uh, some fits back there. Yeah, you know, Coach, I think that this you know, this game's going to be won on defense by either team. Um, and in close games, you know, you always like to look at the special teams and the kicking game. And bad news for the Badgers today, their stud place kicker, Rafael Gaglianone, uh, is out for the rest of the season, uh, had to under, undergo back surgery today. So they will be uh, going with Andrew Endicott, who missed an extra point last week against Michigan State. Made a 27-yard field goal as well, but he's definitely um, a big step down from the big Brazilian kicker that they have come to be used to. So, it can't be any worse than Georgia's kicking kicking game. So, um, we'll say that. 
All right. Well, uh, let's get to our last game, uh, last deep root of the week, and that is uh, the game day site this week, uh, Clemson, South Carolina, uh, where uh, the Tigers are hosting the Louisville Cardinals in a top five ACC matchup. Um, the uh, the winner of this game will control their own destiny in uh, in, in the ACC uh, Coastal. So, uh, you know, Josh. Uh, you got Lamar Jackson. You got Deshaun Watson. Oh, boy. Uh, they are amazing. And if I was an NFL GM, I would gladly have either. But for the purposes of this game, got to look at the surrounding team, how they're performing. And that favors the Louisville Cardinals. So uh, another, you know, what have you done after the big spotlight game? Louisville went to Marshall, a well-coached team and obliterated them. So they lost no step. Uh, They have a top 10 running game and a passing game. That's pretty scary. Number one in points against Uh, their defense, 46. That's above average. Uh, You know, they uh, they gave up 28 to Syracuse and Marshall, which kind of skews it a little bit, but those were kind of similar to the old uh, Oregon defensive performances where – the cards were up by so much, it really didn't matter. They gave up a few late cosmetic scores. And Clemson, on the other hand, just they've been stuck in mud. Something's gone weird with this team. They they barely beat Troy, barely beat Auburn, um, looked good against Georgia Tech, but 26-7 to 7 isn't exactly blowing them out of the water. I think a lot of that has to do with Clemson running game, I don't know where it's gone. They're 85th in the country right now. Uh, Wayne Gallman just not performing like he did a year ago. Watson obviously not running as well as he did a year ago. And I said it with Georgia, three games as a trend, and Clemson has had three games where they've just sort of sleptwalked through, and Louisville's not a team you want to sleepwalk against. Uh, being at home helps the Tigers – being a home underdog right now, according to Vegas, has to fire up Dabo's team a little bit. But the cards just look locked in so much. Coach, how do you feel? I mean, I, it, it's tough to read this club's team because as soon as I talk bad about them, they're going to go out and be Louisville. But, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to say that when you lose that much NFL talent, you know, it's sometimes – you really, truly never know what you're going to get. And um, when we previewed them earlier in the summer, um, I kind of alluded to the fact that it's going to be a kind of a, a mystery for this team, but I felt that they had enough coming back, especially in the offensive side of all that they were going to be fine um, with Deshaun Watson. But it just seems like he's been off. It seems like the offensive line play has been inconsistent at best. Wayne Gallman is just – I don't know where he's gone. I don't know where he's been. But, um, you know, Mike Williams comes back. He's been the lone bright spot for that for that offense. So, and defensively, you know, they just, it just their numbers might be better uh, than mediocre, but it just feels like they're a mediocre defense that they really just need the overall team energy is, is lacking. I, I don't see really any excitement. I don't see – the discipline's not necessarily there. The mindset just kind of seems like they're on they're on coast mode because they made the national championship game. And I don't know, maybe they're feeling themselves a little too much. I don't 
hard way, too. Um, Deshaun Watson is going to have some grass stains on the back of his jersey this time um, if they don't watch out. So uh, I, I think they'll be on alert because they're home underdogs, um, and they seem to always for these games. So um, for the sake of my prediction, I hope that they are, um, and I hope that it's going to live up to the building of game of the week. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's – it's a night game down there, uh, it, you know, it, it, in Death Valley and, you know, against – you know, against the Tigers, and it's going to be it's going to be rocking. Yeah, I mean, Lamar well, Jackson is, is a is a Heisman. I, I think he's Heisman front runner right now, and uh, you know this is this is a special group. Their defense is led by Josh Harvey Clemens, um, another Sunday player. So I, this game's going to be exciting. I, I, I love it. I think one thing also that I've noticed about these two teams is, you know, Clemson. They had that player chirp about, you know, tossing Lamar Jackson down and if he tries to hurdle him and he's like, ah, he's not that impressive. And I haven't heard a single soundbite by a single Louisville player all year. They seem dialed in. And if you're going to look for something to split hairs against two really good teams, that's usually a good one to go with is the team that's taking it a week at a time. This is a business trip. You know, Bobby Petrino's got that thing locked down right now. And Clemson just seems a little scattered at the moment. Yeah, they they do. But, uh, it's you know, it's uh, it's going to lie on the shoulders of Brent Venables to really uh, get this Clemson defense ready to stop the Heisman frontrunner at this point, Lamar Jackson. So, okay, well, we got to go fast to our spread formation, guys. Um, so coming into this week in our picks – uh, Josh, you are leading the way at ten nine and one against the spread. I yeah, am five hundred, baby. I am eight eleven and one, and Coach, uh, you are seven twelve and one. So uh, we start. We start in the SEC uh, with Texas A and M, eighteen point favorites on the road at South Carolina. Josh, who you got? Well, the Aggies' last road trip in conference was only a 13-point win at Auburn, and we know that uh, I'm not the biggest Kevin Sumlin person, but South Carolina's coming off a loss to Kentucky, and I dislike Will Muschamp's coaching style even more than Kevin Sumlin, so I'll say the Aggies can cover that monster spread. Coach? Uh, I think it's SEC road game. I think it's a, I think it's a big spread. Um, I'm going to go with South Carolina to cover A&M to win by 17. Uh, give, give me Texas A&M and give me about 10 doses of Miles Garrett. Um, so let's head over to uh, the Big Ten, uh, the aforementioned Penn State Nittany Lions. Three-point favorites at home against Minnesota. Uh, Josh? It, there's a million injuries that Penn State is going through, and we talked about Wisconsin Battling through them, well, Penn State did the opposite. They were dropped like a WWE wrestling meet, and I'm not sure they're picking themselves off the mat. Believe it or not, I'm going to go with the Gophers because I think Minnesota is going to win this game. I, I like Minnesota too. You know, Penn State is beat up physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, psychologically, um, all of the above. Uh, so I like the Gophers. Uh, I like I like the Gophers big. I, I like I like the Gophers by two scores. One thing I read one thing I read was the was the Penn State athletic director said that James Franklin is not on the hot seat now, and he won't be on the hot seat in December. 
Uh, sometimes there's the expression, the lady doth protest too much. When you have to make that sort of a statement here in late September, it means your coach is on the hot seat. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Next, um, heading just north from uh, State College, Pennsylvania to Syracuse, New York, uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish, 10.5 point favorites on the road at Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. Josh? Yeah, you know, I, I was trying to find a reason why I think Syracuse can be competitive in this game. I just don't quite see it. I think uh, Notre Dame is going to play with a little bit of pride. Brian Kelly is going to get that thing turned around. Uh, their coach got fired. That's always a little bit of a boost uh, from the defensive end. I think Notre Dame finds a way to cover that spread in a two-touchdown win. Yeah, it's going to be ugly for Syracuse. I hate it for him. Um, Brian Kelly's going to pour it on uh, in this game. Uh, there's not a whole lot Syracuse can do about it. Give me the Irish. Yeah, Syracuse doesn't have a whole lot of defense, which which, which worries me. Um, they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to score, but Notre Dame's going to be able to score a lot more. So uh, give me Notre Dame by two scores. Um, next, we've got uh, the Cowboys of Wyoming heading to Fort Collins to take on the Fighting Bobos, who are six and a half point favorites at home. Uh, Josh, you feeling the Rams at home here? Yeah, you know, uh, the Rams got embarrassed in the Rocky Mountain Showdown, came back with two really strong performances, got some wins, and then played lights out at Minnesota in a losing effort. That was a pretty impressive game that they had, matching the Gophers score for score. Wyoming, they barely beat Northern Illinois, who's winless. They got drubbed at Nebraska. They lost at Eastern Michigan. The Pokes just don't seem like they're, they have it. I still love their coach. They have Craig Bull, who was at North Dakota State. I think he's the right man for the job, but I'll take the Bobos. Yeah, uh, two programs seem, seem like they're going in different directions right now. Uh, Wyoming seems to be getting worse at this juncture. Uh, Long term, whether they're worse or not, I don't know. Uh, but this week it's the, the Rams. Give me the fighting Bobos. All right, yeah, let's make it a clean sweep for the Bobos. You know I'm always going to pick them. Finally, uh, it's time for our Jayhawk spread of the week. This week, uh, Rock Chalk Jayhawk heads down to West Texas uh, in Lubbock, taking on Texas Tech, where the Red Raiders are 28.5-point favorites at home, Josh. So if memory serves, I'm three for three, right? Yes. In Kansas? Uh, no, uh, you picked them to cover versus Ohio. and so, so that means I'm two for two when I pick against them. Yes. I pick them to lose by enough. So the stats say I should take them to lose by enough in this one. And until I get proven wrong, I'm going to keep picking 12 teams to cover spreads against Kansas. Coach? I'm confused at what he just picked. So he picked Texas Tech to cover? Yes, he did. In a very, in a very roundabout way. <laughs> okay. Yes, I, I think I think it's going to be another embarrassing deal for the for the Jayhawks. I think Kingsbury and uh, Pat, my homies, is going to uh, going to light it up. I think the I think the MVP of the game is going to be the scoreboard operator. Um, we're finding a way to keep up with uh, Pat Mahomes. Uh, yeah, I. I I've got Mahomes getting 600 yards and seven touchdowns through three quarters. So uh, give me the Red Raiders all day. So uh, that is going to wrap it up for us today here on the Illegal Motion podcast. So uh, any final words? Yes, I've been, I've been springing random games on you at the end of each show, and I'm going to keep the trend alive. Western Michigan at Central Michigan, 
Big game in the MAC. Western three and a half point road favorites. Who you guys got? Give me the Bronx. Bronx. Yeah, Bronx. Right. Level one. Bronx is the Bronx is the MAC title game undefeated. All right, Chip still have a good team. Cooper Rush. Row, row, row your boat down the stream. Merrily, 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 merrily. Life is but a dream. Oh, all right. Well, on that, row, row. on that note, we are going to end our show today. So, on behalf of Coach Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, and on behalf of our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook, in Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor saying so long, and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Send me that audio. Send me that audio. I want to make it my ringtone. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.